This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. From the warping of space-time to the earliest stone tools used by our non-human ancestors, 2023 showed us some new big ways to see the universe and our place in it. So, as the year comes to an end, we wanted to reflect on some of the biggest scientific discoveries of 2023. Discoveries that, for many of us, were game-changers when it comes to the history of life on our planet. So here to help us revisit some of the year's biggest news in the world of science is Vula Saradakis, Curator of Collections and Archives at the Museum of Science and Industry. Hey, Vula, welcome to Reset. Hey, thank you for having me. So I want to start with NASA's James Webb Space Telescope mm -hmm. and its mission, right? Mm -hmm. Because I mean, it really brought us some some stunning photos this year, wouldn't you say? Yeah, absolutely. Some stunning photos that of never before seen phenomena. It's uh, able to see with its infrared cameras straight through dust clouds into stellar nurseries. It's taking pictures of a baby universe. That's how I like to describe it. <laughs> um, and uh, studying black holes in the evolution of galaxies. But one of the other things that it does is to use spectroscopy to look at emissions from um, distant galaxies and nebula and planets. And one of the past year's amazing discoveries using the James Webb Space Telescope mm -hmm. was to point it towards the Orion Nebula, which is about 1,350 light years away, which isn't too far away, actually. Okay. Uh, and what it spotted there using uh, spectroscopy and emission lines was uh, this new carbon compound and they call it methyl cation is what it's referred to as. Okay. And what this is, is it's a game changer because this is a carbon compound molecule that is considered to aid in the creation of more complicated carbon compounds that could be the precursors to, to life. So while it's not direct evidence oh. of extraterrestrial life, mm -hmm. it certainly is suggestive, never been found before. And it gives a scientist an opportunity to study uh, extraterrestrial, not extraterrestrial, but interstellar mm -hmm. uh, organic chemistry and um, and find out more about what, what's out there. Yeah, scientists are learning a lot from these images. Sometimes galaxies in the images, they can appear distorted Mm -hmm. uh, duplicated or shrouded by haze, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. What is that phenomenon? So that's simply, uh, it depends on what uh, you're, how you're looking at uh, whatever it is that you're looking at in right. the universe. It depends on the telescope and the types of cameras that it has. So for instance, if you're looking at uh, a dust cloud in the universe and it's with Hubble visible light, you would not be able to see straight through that the dust, the interstellar mm. dust. But what's amazing about James Webb is that the infrared cameras are able to look directly through those clouds and see stars right. that are being born. Inter they're, they're stellar nurseries, so it's so amazing what it can see. The telescope helped show something that Einstein predicted in 1916, which was gravitational waves. Uh, this, of course, helps us better understand things that we can't see, like 
dark matter mm -hmm. and black holes. How does mm -hmm. it do it? Well, so there's two, two things going on. First is the James Webb Space Telescope, which does have the capacity. And one of its objectives, of course, is to study black holes, which are at the center of most galaxies, uh, and to uh, look at and help scientists understand the evolution of galaxies. But there was another recent discovery this past year by another team, uh, and this is a North American uh, nanohertz observatory team. It's a collaboration between the United States and Canada and a bunch of radio observatories to look at all the recent data that has come in uh, involving gravitational waves. Mm -hmm. And their results were published this past year. And what they discovered is these gravitational waves are traveling through space. They're propagating through space, created by these supermassive black holes, which are billions of times wow. more massive than our own sun, and through the mergers of these galaxies. So that's another way that we're looking at what's happening in the universe. And when we see something like that, what, what is it teaching us about the life cycle of star systems and galaxies? Well, what it's showing is uh, helping us understand how these black holes were formed and by virtue of looking at black holes, it also helps us understand the evolution of galaxies. What I'd like to see is James Webb combining with the radio observatories and the work they're doing mm -hmm. to put their information together, work together, and see just what more we can discover about the universe around us. Yeah, and as you've said, this telescope has also revealed things right in our own backyard. Yeah, absolutely. They well, That's the cherry on top, really. Uh, in addition to looking uh, deeper into the universe than ever before and exoplanets and all these other things that is our doing. solar system. Yeah, you can turn it back around and it has taken some incredible images of Mars, Jupiter, uh, Uranus. It's just amazing what it can Beautiful. reveal in detail. So there have also been this year, Vula, discoveries about ancient life here on Earth, like the bones of what could have been the heaviest animal ever to live. <laughs> Catch us up. Yeah, sure. So again, this past year, uh, now the bones themselves, so these fossils were found 10 years ago, but it takes time to remove them carefully, to study them. But the results were published this past year. And what they reveal is a new species of giant whale, which bear with me, Perucetus colossus. Yes. Is the name. For... I'm glad you said it. Yeah. <laughs> and not me. And the reason for that is, well, what it means is colossal whale of Peru because yes. they were found in the deserts of Peru, which might sound very odd, but What's important to understand is that back then, that part of Peru was yeah. underwater. How far back are we talking? So these are dating back to 29 million years ago, which what we do is they're dated using the volcanic ash that's around them. Right. And when they were removed, it was clear that they were very massive. And with 3D scanning and, um, and modeling, they were able to realize that these are so dense and so big, each vertebra is about 220 pounds wow. that because of the density of the bones, this whale species that was never understood before, never found fossils before, is probably uh, the heaviest 
animal that has ever existed yeah, I on make our sure planet. Folks get that because we're talking about 300 tons yes. or 600,000 pounds. Yes. What does something like that eat? <laughs> so you would think that it needs to eat very large creatures right. probably to survive. But the truth of the matter is we think that much like many other um, whales and if we look at the current blue whales, the blue whale, which, which is, is very similar tons, mm-hmm. I, I didn't think we could get heavier than yeah. that. <laughs> uh, it, so, yeah, and it'll just uh, eat plankton and other small fish and that's what it survives on. And they think that, you know, maybe the the blue whale is as long as this new species of whale, but but this is heavier because it could go a lot heavier than any blue whale we we know of. All right. Next up is uh, Pompeii. So there have also been some interesting discoveries at the archaeological site of Pompeii that they show what life was like in ancient Rome. Mm -hmm. So what have they uncovered? Yeah. So what is amazing about Pompeii is that within 24 hours of this cataclysmic event, the eruption of Mount Vesuvius, everything was covered in Pompeii and the surrounding countryside. And it remained frozen in time for close 2000 years before excavation started about 250 years ago or so. And because of the nature of how everything was covered and the, the ash solidified, uh, these objects that are being removed, the frescoes that are being uncovered, they're in such pristine condition that they really give us better insight into what daily life was like and for frescoes, these people. They're like they're paintings? Paintings on walls. Yeah, Wall absolutely. Paintings. Yes. And what's interesting is that there's only been about two-thirds excavated. They still have another third that they are going to excavate. So there's still a lot of secrets underground uh, they haven't gotten to. And what's amazing about what they're doing is that everything that is uncovered is like another piece of the puzzle. So these are ongoing excavations. And so, for example, what they found this past year, and this is interesting because at first there was a lot of discussion about these grand villas and frescoes, but I, uh, there seemed to be a little neglect there for what uh, other people in other sectors of life, how what life was like for them. And mm-hmm. these discoveries this past year, for example, a bakery prison, or at least that's how it's described, yeah. a small little room with slaves and donkeys who were using the mills to grind wheat and make it into a bread. Yeah. And another room that was found a very very, very small bedroom with two beds, one of which didn't even have a mattress. And clearly this was uh, the bedroom of uh, slaves. So there has been more of a concerted effort to understand how other people lived in Pompeii, the other sectors of, of people in, in society. And uh, at the Museum of Science and Industry, you currently have more than 150 artifacts on loan mm. from the Naples National Archaeological Museum. Yeah, absolutely. This is Pompeii the Exhibition, which um, features all these incredible artifacts, some of which are in really great condition. I've often had to tell people these are not replicas. They're the real deal. Right. And it is an incredible look into the daily lives of these people, how they lived, how they worked, how they worshipped, how they so found awesome entertainment. that they were able to be preserved this way. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's painstaking work to make sure that they're removed carefully, 
but they're they're really achieving that. They're really doing that. And um, there's also at the end of the exhibit, there's the body casts. And those are a very chilling, I think, reminder of how these people perished when Mount Vesuvius erupted. Yeah. Uh, speaking of ancient human history, archaeologists this year also found tools dating back to our pre-human ancestors. What did they find? Yeah, so this is another amazing archaeological find this past year. Uh, in Kenya, uh, they found what they call the Olduvan Toolkit. What that is, because it refers to Olduvai Gorge, is a series of stones. And clearly these are hammer stones that were used for pounding and chipped flint stones that are used for carving. Mm -hmm. And the reason why this is incredible is because it dates back to approximately almost three million years. And what they found were two molars from an extinct distant cousin of Homo sapiens. This is not direct descendants of Homo sapiens. The previous theory had been that it's the direct descendants, mm -hmm. the genus of Homo, that develop more sophisticated tools for, uh, for plants and animals. But these are molars from a, a non-Homo uh, genus um, uh, species right. that that is extinct and so it's still a whodunit we we don't have decisive evidence that they're the ones who made these but if true it oh, wow. undermines the theory that it was human ancestors who first created these more sophisticated uh, instruments or tools used used for eating right right and, and so what was previously known as the oldest tool so so when we think of uh, uh, that part of the world, Lewis Leakey, two mm -hmm. million years ago, we're looking at uh, ancestors, more direct ancestors to humans. Yeah. But this is going even further back than that. And although there have been other very crude tools found from the same time period, these are slightly more sophisticated, and yet they don't come from the direct ancestors of Homo sapiens. Very interesting. It's incredible to see the tools we started with, those ancient stone tools, right? And then look at some of the new ones that we're using nowadays, which I'm thinking of AI. Sure. Artificial intelligence. Of course. I mean, what's the conversation <laughs> without talking about AI? I mean, how have scientists embraced yeah. AI, do you think, in the past year? Well, it's it's just been amazing. Uh, when you think of, first of all, three million years, and we go from stone tools to AI tools and computers right. and software. Um, so there has been, AI is not new to 2023, but there has been an explosion in the applications of AI. Right. And so you see AI in various uh, uses and applications, for instance, in healthcare to help diagnose diseases much faster and with more accuracy. You see it in e-commerce. You go to a website and there's a chat bot there mm -hmm. waiting for you. Like it's a, it's a real human. You can ask questions. Um, you see it, of course, uh, in robots themselves, more human humanoid robots, right? And and also social media. So, for instance, Instagram and TikTok. Yeah. You go there; they know exactly what content to feed you using these algorithms. But we're also seeing a lot of criticism. Yes. that you know, experiments with algorithms they yeah. aren't practiced as ethically as a scientific experiment. So, I mean, is there a need you think for more ethics? 
in yeah, AI? Yeah, there, there really needs to be more of a discussion there. There have been ethics committees, ethics discussions that have already started on the table. There certainly has to be more. And that's going to be an ongoing conversation as we begin to find more applications for AI, because I think this is just the tip of the iceberg. It's received a lot of visibility because of things like chat GPT this past year. Yes. But I think the applications are going to increase even further. And whether you like it or hate it or are indifferent, the genie is out of the bottle and it won't go, be going back in. So I can't wait yeah. for our conversation at the end of 2024, Vula. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave it there for now. Vula Saradakis is curator of collections and archives at the Museum of Science and Industry. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you.